Welcome to another episode of Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. Today we're discussing three rehearsed readings the company has performed. Um, A Number by Carol Churchill, The Hypochondriac by Moliere and Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. My name is Jo Pratt and I'm joined by some of the actors, a director and producers who've worked on these productions. So if we just introduce ourselves. Hello, I'm Darren Knight. I'm the director of a couple of these and also the producer. Hi, I'm Gareth. I think I've been involved in some way, shape or form in all three of the rehearsed readings. I was acting in a number, um, did a couple of roles in Hypochondriac and helped out with live sound effects and sort of Foley artistry um, in Importance of Being Earnest. Foley artiste, Gareth. Foley artiste, oh, yes. Yeah. Foley artiste, absolutely. Very nice, yes. Hi, um, <laughs> sorry. I'm Andy. Um, I directed Importance of Being Earnest and I uh, was in um, rehearsed reading of um, a number with Gareth in the anniversary show that we did. Lovely. And last but not least, Katie. Oh, that's a lovely intro, Joe. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm Katie and I was in The Importance of Being Earnest. Wonderful, thank you. So to start us off, Dario, um, for those who haven't seen one before, can you explain briefly what is a rehearsed reading and what's the appeal of producing them? Well, I suppose in one respect, it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Um, so you're you're not watching what we might call a full production. The actors haven't memorised the script. They're reading their lines, but still having rehearsed the script to get the characterisation and the, the pace right for the play. Um, there are there are different ways of staging them, as I'm sure we'll talk about during the course of this. But typically, a rehearsed reading won't have a full set with lighting and sound. Uh, the actors may or may not be in costume; they might just be in stage blacks. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for doing them. Really, they're comparatively much faster to produce than a, a fully staged show, naturally. So we can turn these around in a couple of weeks rather than several months. Um, And that means we can do more productions each year and we can create more opportunities for actors, which is really cool Uh, because they're 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 fast. They have this fantastic sense of um, of spontaneity about them. And there's a real drive, which is great to kind of put between the the larger shows, which take months to to rehearse and almost a year to produce. Uh, And the planning stages can go on for quite a long time. And the other thing I think and uh, actors, please do feel free to chip in. I think it's really great that you can concentrate on the casting and play around with the casting a bit more because you don't have to worry about visuals, just the voice. So things like an actor's playing age don't really come into it. And there's a there's a real sense of liberation in that. You can have a 20-something playing a character who's 60 years old and vice versa. And you perhaps wouldn't do that in a, a full production. But with a rehearsed reading, because you're just concentrating on the script, you then get a chance to to do some quite interesting and unusual casting and um really it's, it's just fun to to take a play and strip it right back down to the words that are at the heart of it and then examine them in a slightly fresh way where you're not having to worry about the technical aspects of staging and the presentation quite so much mm, yeah interesting mm. thank you um gareth <laughs> a, a number was the first rehearsed reading that uh, unbounded in, t- in 2017 um 
many people listening may not have seen the play before. Can you say a little bit about what it's about and what appealed to you uh, about it as an actor? Yeah. So when I sort of first received the script for a number and read through it, I found it absolutely fascinating and just knew that that this was something I wanted to do. And it was brilliant to be able to do it originally in full with um, with Pete Benson. It was um, brilliant to work with him. And then I got to um, reprise it again. Um, one of the scenes for the anniversary show with the lovely Mr. Andy Favor. Oh. Um, so I've not only worked on a brilliant script, but worked with some brilliant people on it as well. Um, the thing about the um, the script for A Number is it is bizarre. Um, it's based on the premise that um, it's all about the relationship between this guy Salter and his many sons, um, who are one of many clones that have been made, um, which they initially don't know about, but the play starts off just as, yeah, what I would call Salter's main son, as it were, finds out that he is a, a clone. Um, and then, yeah, later the original comes back in and it sort of explores all kinds of themes like genetic determinism and how different the two sons turn out to each other. And then they sort of go into there's actually, as the title would suggest, a number of these clones. And again, yeah, how different they are, how similar they are, how much of how the first son turned out is down to Salter's upbringing of him. Um, and that really gets explored really nicely, just the what must be going on in Salter's head as these many different sons come in. Um, and I was, I played the um, the son, and Pete slash Andy played Salter, the father. Um, and it's brilliant to be able to play what is essentially genetically the same character, but very, very different. And throughout the course of the play, um, yeah, you're sort of playing the same character but different and then you've really got to have fun with how that might change you physically how it might change you vocally um so a brilliant play to perform and the other thing about carol churchill plays is she has a very strong grasp of natural language um a lot of plays yeah you've got sort of play language um and it it feels you know, linguistically very good, but maybe slightly unnatural at times. Um, whereas Carol Churchill's writing really focuses on natural language and sort of incomplete thoughts and lots of overlapping dialogue where the thought isn't even finished before it gets overlapped, which can make it a challenge to get your point across, but makes it fascinating to do. Um, Dario, the second production was the, the Hypochondriac, which you directed. Um, this one featured a lot more staging than a number or importance being earnest. What were the reasons for that approach? And can you also say a little bit about what the play is about um, for those that don't know it? So uh, the Hypochondriac is a, a Moliere play. Uh, it's also known as the Imaginary Invalid. And it's about a man named Argan, who is the eponymous Hypochondriac. Uh, who's running up all manner of medical bills for his ever-increasing list of ailments. And so he hatches this plan to marry his daughter off to a doctor uh, so that he can then get free medical advice. And it's uh, it's got elements of farce about it. There's a lot of coming and going, rushing in and out. It, it's surprisingly for a, a play that's centuries old, it's got quite a lot of satire in it about private medical care. Um and it, it's brilliantly funny. It is it's even now. It's it's really fun to do. And when we presented it, we found ourselves because it has that quite chaotic, 
farcical energy to it um adding in quite a bit of, of blocking and physicality seemed to be the way we needed to go because it felt like we were really missing something if we didn't and over the i think we did about two weeks maybe two and a half three weeks uh over the time we were rehearsing it we found that you could bring in a lot more traditional elements of staging without compromising the fact it was a reading so we gave everyone some basic costume out of the stock at queen's park and put together a bit of scenery to decorate the stage and i think ultimately i suppose you respond to the text it itself it's a perfect play to do as a reading because it's got some amazing dialogue and really great jokes but to do it just did it just as it needed that sense of of movement and color and, and vibrancy because it's such a bright play and because we've been able to gradually build up this stock of furniture and props and costumes uh, at queen's park art center we could put something together on zero budget which was a uh, relief because we just done panto <laughs> which is always a bit costly um <laughs> and uh to all of these props that people see in the storeroom and do say to them why on earth do you keep that why have you got a load of candlesticks what do you need them for suddenly they come in handy again <laughs> when you've got a set to build and you haven't got a budget um, uh -huh. So, yeah, so I remember um I remember sort of some of the props for that play and I remember one of them I was playing sort of the assistant doctor and you come in with this thing and you're basically saying you're going to give Argon a suppository or a, a colonic irrigation I think it was or one of those things and I, I can't remember what we got but we just got this device that looked like it was used for pumping water. <laughs> I yeah, sort of, yeah, <laughs> ma marching on towards Alistair with it, going, um, e exactly how far are we taking this prop? By the way, <laughs> I think it's one of those pump action sprayer things for the garden. <laughs> I genuinely think we use at Queen's Park for the weeds in the car park. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> so, it's always the way at Queen's Park. Everything has a second use. Yeah, um, everything has a second use. Um, and I mean, it's one of those shows a bit like the anniversary show, and uh, I'm sure it'll be the same for Funny Voices, which we're working on at the minute where it'll be every prop you've ever seen will be in there somewhere just decorating the space it's quite it's a nice trip down memory lane to go and go oh, i remember that from five years ago wherever it was um so yeah we, we push that one a lot more towards a stage production as a, as a one-off really because it just instinctively felt like it needed it to to work um compared to something like a number which didn't really need anything but two voices or four to give them gareth's <laughs> multiple roles in that one um so yeah that, that's how, how it came about really i think you you always respond to the text as best you can and that one just seemed to warrant a bit more chaos i think yeah and again as well as the props the movement in it was brilliant in that because I, I think we had we had dancing and as you say you have you know characters sort of zooming on and off and you have a lot of sort of you know interaction with alistair's character uh, argon who was on sort of for most of the play but then you've got everyone else sort of zooming about around him and i think you've got his um i think it was his maid possibly or i don't know exactly what the yes Toinette, yeah. yes Alice. Toinette, the maid again she's sort of totally dancing around him both physically and literally um and again sort of we brought that to life and then again brought it back for the anniversary show again which was brilliant to see um yeah just yeah, I think it was Alice playing Toinette and mm. Alistair still playing Argon, just sort of wheeling him around the stage and you know, doing circles around him. Just a, a brilliant piece of physical movement in yeah, what is also a rehearsed reading. So did that take a bit longer to, uh, because you mentioned, Dario, about rehearsed readings, you'd be able to stage them quite quickly. 
um, or put them on quite quickly. But this is somewhere, but it's kind of a hybrid between the two. How long did it take you to um, create it? I can't really remember. I think it was around two to three weeks. I don't think we had a lot of extra time. We might have called an extra evening rehearsal just to to give us a bit of extra time. But I don't remember it taking much longer. It seemed to flow so naturally out of what we were doing that it, it, the movement didn't feel like something we had to go back and put in. So oh. right from the off, it was there. It was a bit more involved because everyone's got to take a lot more notes, but I have to say the cast were fantastic and uh, led by Alistair really responded to it to it well. So uh, funnily enough, it didn't take a great deal longer, but um, we we did. I mean, it was, it was a very quick turnaround, but everyone was really good. I think you get that you get that in a sense a bit of energy having just finished panto we did this in january february 2019 um between panto and then starting on antony and cleopatra it was this little little period where it was so fun to get everyone in working on a great play for for three weeks really fast really funny and everyone had so much energy to do it that it uh it came together really quickly so no it's interesting actually it didn't take didn't take that much longer but, but i think because the play itself is so physical and and uh, requires a lot of movement. It's just there from the off, really, rather than adding it retrospectively. Cool. So um, moving to the importance of being earnest, uh, that was performed in February 2020 and one yes. uh, was one of the last productions that we did before lockdown. Yes. So, Andy, what are the benefits of revisiting such a well-known play as a reading rather than doing a full production, do you think? Well, I think actually... Um... One of my favourite parts of it is that because we didn't have to bother with so much the, the the blocking and the costume, we could really drill down to the language and the voices, um, especially the voices. Those who are in it will remember my tortuous exercises, which I hope uh, helped in the end. Um, they sort of sorry, Katie. Yes, you remember. But no, I have to say, um, it really it, it it was lovely just to actually concentrate completely on the the script. I mean, with 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 Wild, um, it's one of the few. He's one of the few playwrights that you don't actually have to. Um, touch a thing it's all there and uh, we really got the chance to absolutely play around with every comma and every every breath it, it, for, for, uh, to watch everyone everyone's well performances um lift hugely um i was sort of thinking of actually um dario's uh comment earlier about sort of playing ages when you're doing such a thing um the lady who played um oh gosh okay, i'll embarrass myself now Lady, Lady Bracknell. Bracknell. Lady Bracknell, yes. Um, <laughs> Lady Bracknell is supposed to be in her late 50s, 60s, but Ellie, is, Ellie who played it, is in her 20s. Um, you certainly wouldn't know that from her vocal performance, but it was a great experience. And also, of course, um, Katie playing Miss, Miss, um, Miss Prism. Miss Prism is indeed supposed to be in her, well, I think 50s, really, but Katie is not. Um, but <laughs> vocally, vocally, both of them absolutely nailed it. Um, we absolutely got their characters, their ages, their, their their personality types, just from sitting reading, which I thought was marvellous. Um, and uh, yes, I, I think I think it, it was it was a real a really good chance to be very forensic and picky, um, which I like. Anyone who's <laughs> well, no, well, no, but yes, yeah. Mm. So, Katie, playing Miss yeah. Prism, how was the creative process? I mean, how does it differ when you're working on a reading compared to a, a full play? Well, well, the main things really is one you don't have to learn the lines for a start. You, you need, yeah, you need to be familiar with them. Obviously, you can't sit there and pause while you turn the page, and everyone's thinking you should really have known what's coming next, really. <laughs> um, and uh, there's less of a time commitment usually with 
it seems to be these things are done in a few, very few rehearsals and then you get them onto the stage. So the, there is a different process in that you've got the script in front of you. You can write all over it manically. Um, if you're doing an accent, which obviously Oscar Wilde, I think all of us had some sort of accent yes, in yes, there, but indeed, you can yes, sort of, there was a lot of yeah, yeah, you can mark on there sort of which accent you're doing and how to say sort of various different things. So, the, yeah, the process is slightly different in preparation. And also, I think, as Daria mentioned, because quite often you get to play characters that you are outside of your normal playing age or um, your normal repertoire, I suppose. So you get to investigate people that you wouldn't necessarily normally look at for yourself. So you don't have to worry so much about the physicality, but just getting it across somehow. How would you play a 50-year-old Scottish woman? Mm. <laughs> mm. Concentrating, like you say, on the vocals. Yeah. So is, is there um, something that you particularly enjoy about the process or, or some, is there anything that just makes it particularly challenging when you're just doing a reading? I, one of the things I, I really enjoyed was normally when you're in a production, you see the whole of the production, obviously, while you're in rehearsals. But there is something different about when you finally do that in front of an audience. There's something about the feedback from the audience and the reaction of the audience make people lift what they've been doing before. And what I really liked, because Andy staged it where we had everybody on stage all the time, you almost got to watch the actual performance for free because you were on the stage even though you weren't in the scenes you could watch it with the audience which I really liked rather than sort of being backstage frantically trying to find a drink and where your wig is or something <laughs> um uh but then equally that was also something was a bit challenging because you were on stage all the time so uh you had to react but not draw focus so you were on the stage in the background you couldn't suddenly go oh my god and fall off the chair but you couldn't just start playing with your phone or something like that. <laughs> Still had to be present and watching it. Um, luckily, it's a very good place, so it's fine. You didn't have to worry about that too much. But also, uh, personally, going back to the accent, often when you're, I've found when I'm trying to do an accent beforehand, you might have a phrase or something to get into the accent, but you're on stage, so you can't do that. So you almost have to just sit there and go, right, any minute now I'm going to come out with this word I really hope I'm not going to come out with the wrong accent go so <laughs> so yeah so it was toes yeah exactly yeah. It, was some, it was kind of a double-edged sword I suppose mm. and I mean asking all of you when you look back at the three readings uh, do you have some favorite memories from from the productions I think with um with a number that um that first scene where the original uh, Bernard comes comes in, and you sort of see the this other version of the sun. Um, that is a you know a really special scene for me, and we repeated it at the anniversary show with with Andy. And it's just so intense at times the mm. sort of the tension between uh, the two characters on stage, and it it really builds to some great moments. Um, yeah, you sort of I think even in the the reading bit where we weren't doing blocking, we still sort of slammed the table and you know really got in each other's faces. Yeah. And then when we did it in mm. the anniversary show, we obviously added a, a bit of blocking where again you just build the physicality and the the words of that tension. But that for me was a brilliant scene, and I was so glad to be able to do it again. Yeah, I mm. loved it. It was super. Yeah, yeah, incredibly intense. Yeah. So in the, I know in the blocking of it, we we started out very far apart from each other, and of course by the end of it. 
we were face to face, literally nose to nose, weren't yeah. we? It was absolutely yeah, face to face across the table, yes. slamming down, oh, much slamming, brilliant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those were the days, <laughs> face to face. Oh, I remember that. We'll no, I remember we'll... faces. Oh. oh, good times. Screens just aren't the same. I look back at the um, video of Anthony and Cleopatra the other week, and I genuinely found myself going, "Oh, they're not social distancing." Yeah. <laughs> they awful now. I look back, going, "Oh, can't do that." Yeah. It's amazing how you kind of absorb, isn't it, when you're like moving to make sure you're keeping 1.5 meters mm. <laughs> between you and anybody else whilst you're also acting. Yes, that's true. I think in terms of other memories, I for hypochondriac, I remember coming up with some of the visual jokes being really fun because we not only did we do the blocking that's there in the script but we added stuff as well and Alistair and Alice who played Argan and Toinette have the most phenomenal amount of energy between them they are like a whirlwind and so they had all these scenes together and their physical comedy is fantastic and there was a chance to experiment with that in the rehearsal room and we had a whole running gag about Argan insisting he needs a wheelchair um, even though he clearly doesn't because he's not ill. And Toinette would constantly either be throwing him out of it or, or Alice used to push mm. him around the stage randomly so that he couldn't see or hear what was going on just to wind him up. <laughs> not Alistair, I mean, Argan. Um, <laughs> and, and and she was constantly kind of either throwing him or, or shoving him off stage or whatever. And um, it, it wasn't long after we finished Panto, and that's always exhausting and, and unwieldy as a project. So it was really great to do something that fun and mm-hmm. uh, no pun intended freewheeling without all the, <laughs> the, the pressure of the technical problems of something like panto where you've got you've got 12 dancers on stage you've got an entire cast and you've got to be careful how you move it was really that was really fun and um alice certainly had a whale of a time i seem to recall um yeah. <laughs> just wheeling alistair around yeah, yeah I, I remember i came to watch it and i just actually the thing that struck me was that actually how naturalistic um, and the flow was, given that the fact that they were actually reading it from a script, after a little while, you didn't, it didn't worry you at all, actually. The whole thing flowed extremely quickly and extremely well. Um, I'm not advocating that everything should be done like that, but actually it really worked. <laughs> it really worked very, very well indeed. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you think audiences um, react the same or get the same out of a rehearsed reading as a full production? I think so. I, certainly mm. the feedback we've had has been has been really good yeah. uh, for all three of them that we've done. It's, it is always a slightly nerve-wracking experience uh, putting them on because you're worried people are going to come along not having read the poster properly, mm. thinking it is a full production of the play and are then going to walk off. Fortunately, that's never happened. Um, but the feedback we've had, particularly I remember for Ernest, some were saying there were so many jokes that they had sort of forgotten about or never really noticed before mm. in the, <clears throat> the script that because you're only focusing on the words... They then got a lot more from it. And I, I, of the three plays, it was the one I knew best before we did it. Yeah. And even I was going, I don't remember that bit. There's the bit that I saw my favourite jokes in the whole play is um, Miss Prism's line about saying, don't speak disparagingly about the three-volume novel. Uh, so I wrote one myself in my youth. I don't know why, but I just, <laughs> I just find the idea of the three-volume novel such a funny phrase. I yeah. don't, don't know why. But I'd never really noticed that in the play before, and, and yeah, that mm. was one of my favourite jokes. And again, I think because you're not, in a sense, distracted by all the grand, grand mm. costumes and scenery, you, you do pay a lot more attention to, 
to the jokes and the words and the three plays are all very wordy i don't know that it would work for every play no. but it's certainly we i think we've picked ones that really lent themselves quite well to it mm. yeah and i think that's a um that's an important thing sort of to keep in mind that the rehearsed readings are what they are you know that they, they are rehearsed readings they are done that way yes there, there's all the you know, things about it so it's yeah you can yeah put more content out you can do them in a quicker period but they are selected to be good for rehearsed readings and mm. to play into the strengths of that medium mm. um so i think it's a mistake to think of the rehearsed reading as full production with stuff taken out it really is its own thing that that stands on its own merits yeah. and it's yeah, like, it's like a they're uh, selected so they work for that reason yeah. like, like a radio play almost isn't it really it is it's designed mm. in a different way isn't it for that sense yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. And I, I know that um, with Ernest, I don't know about the other two, but we didn't have anyone reading out the stage directions or anything like that. It was still yeah. visual in that sense. You didn't have somebody. I mean, you had Gareth there making tea loudly in the background, yeah. which <laughs> was fantastic. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think if you did have a very busy play, maybe with a lot of stage direction and a lot of things like that, and you didn't have that visual thing, I don't know if you'd want someone reading now, you know, three pages of stage yeah. direction. No, especially if it's a burden Shaw, you'd be there forever, wouldn't you? No, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yes, I could see actually how yeah. that certainly would detract. You can see, yes, I mean, absolutely, yeah, that, that certainly wouldn't help, I don't think, would it, having someone no. redoing all that? Yeah, yeah. and it works without. Yeah, I think that's more of a that's like a table read, isn't it? More, yeah. More inclined to that. Whereas, yeah. I don't. We don't. We never had. Certainly for for a number and uh, a, a hypochondriac, we didn't have anyone reading reading them out. Mind you, then I think we we inadvertently picked plays that didn't have a great deal of stage directions in them. Um, yeah. Carol yeah. Churchill particularly is very very sparing with stage directions. Um, mm. As Gareth said, her her dialogue is so naturalistic. She doesn't tend to break it up with action a great deal. It is really two people talking in the most. Mm. Is anyone who's interested in writing uh, good dialogue should absolutely read Carol Churchill plays because mm. she's incredible. She quite often doesn't have punctuation. She won't capitalise words. Um, oh, yes, that's true. She doesn't tend to indicate where interruptions happen, but you you have she makes you work. I think as a director and as an actor. But once you really get the your ear attuned to it she has the most incredible naturalistic dialogue it really does replicate the way people speak the way they don't necessarily say what they mean mm. or they're constantly trying to make one point but never getting there and the way they contradict themselves but that was wasn't really needed in that one and hypochondriac i think because we did add in the various bits of action but there, uh, again there, there's not a there's not a lot in there actually i think it's mainly just the dialogue so yeah we, we've always picked them as plays we knew would work as rehearsed readings rather mm. than sort of picking a play and then going, oh, I suppose we'll just do it like that. Do you have any uh, plays that you've, you've kind of got in mind as one that you'd really like to do as rehearsed reading in the future? I think kind of having mentioned Bernard Shaw, I read at the start of the year, I believe he is now out of copyright. I think the copyright on his plays has expired. So that might be quite fun to look at one mm. of his, but mm. to, to be able to edit it down perhaps so that you haven't got quite so many stage directions. Yeah. And you haven't got all that. Um, something like Pygmalion would be good fun. Um, that would be good, yes. If you trim that a bit, that would work very well, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah, because obviously yeah. once when they're in copyright, you're not allowed to touch them. Even if you're doing rehearsed reading, you've got yeah. to produce them in full. Um, so I think he would be quite fun. Or, you know, maybe something new. It's Rehearsed readings are also really good for new writing. 
Mm. If you're if you're testing something out or you're you're wanting to get a reaction before you take it to the uh, full staged version, it can be great fun. Um, so maybe something yeah. completely new or a you know adaptation of a novel or something. It'd be interesting to play around with them. Yeah, that could be interesting adapting a book. Yeah, yes, actually, the um, I think what, what it would have to be a very uh, it'd be a lot of work, but uh, Tristan Shandy by Lawrence Stern. I've I spent most of the year a couple of years ago trying to get into a production of that um and it is literally the sort of mind flow of a chap who you you literally are we are present at his conception and his birth as well as his life um it is the most extraordinarily strange odd piece but it, normally it's presented by by one one actor playing many parts but it would it would actually make a very very good group reading I think it would be impossible to stage because it, it, it happens in so many different places and times. But there are so many odd, bizarre, random ideas that come from it that as you read it, you, you, you start slightly bowled over. I think, it, I think that would work very well um, as a semi-visualised reading. I think that would be rather fun. It would take an awful lot of doing, though. I, th I think you'd have to sort of have a very clever writer with nothing to do for eight months to, uh, <laughs> sort, of, to sort of adapt it. But I think bits of it, I think, would work very well. Yeah. I've only we thought of that before lockdown. Mm. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Someone could have yes. spent the last year doing it. Could. Damn. Yes. Damn. Yes. Don't know how this is going long for, but take that. Do your best. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. That's interesting hearing about um, those rehearsed readings, and it sounds like there could be some oh, more in future, so. uh, which is something to look forward to. Anybody got any last things you'd like to comment? I think we haven't uh, we haven't given full due to Gareth's foley skills. In no, <laughs> that is true. And also, I have, to, I have to say, um, Gareth has, has uh, is is an actor as well as many other very talented things. But he did the thing which actually most actors would might if I'd have been doing that, I would have been dreadful because I would have attempted to steal the show. But Gareth did not steal the show doing that. He you absolutely kept it. You kept the level of your interaction and your interruptions exactly right. Mm. Myself, oh, I would have, I would have been a complete tart and and, and done things. To it. <laughs> you, you didn't. I've done too much panto in my life, I think. But uh, you you didn't, um, and that, I think that's an important thing because if you uh, if you have physical stuff, sometimes you will have to do. It's so easy to lose the balance and lose the focus. Um, but no, it was it was spot on. So a belated thank you. <laughs> Did you have a favourite sound effect, Gareth? Ooh, a favourite. Uh, rummaging through the sort of the luggage and the baggage, uh, the bags. That was quite a, oh, a yeah. fun one. Where it's just sort of. Oh yes. You mentioned what's that noise upstairs, and then you sort of dive to this set of bags and just start, exactly. you know, so throwing the, them randomly see, about, shaking them, trying to create as much disturbance as possible. This, this enormous noise had to be made. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that was the one time where it's sort of yeah we're really gonna go for it now. Yes. Um. But yeah, just it it was just great fun to do sort of to to look through the script and sort of look through it and think what are the points where we need to to do something or where we can just have that that little bit of stuff that helps to bring it to life so for me the creative process of figuring out what to do and when was actually really really interesting mm. um yeah almost more so than than doing it itself was figuring out what to what to put in where stuff can go where stuff can fit yeah um, which was, you know, brilliant to be able to to do that. And your foley skills came back, I remember, from um, three tall women because you had to break a glass, didn't you? The 
backstage in that one. I did have to break so, yeah. a glass in Three Tall Women. So it's, it's a whole uh, new career, this. Yeah, oh. it's, it's certainly wow. developing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was terrified of breaking that glass in Three Tall Women. Because <laughs> li- literally, it's just this bucket full wrong? of broken glass and a hammer, and you're like, three, two, one. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Although rather ahead of the curve, you were wearing a mask at the time, so we were very, yeah. very safe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Foley skills is basically making noise. Is that right? Yeah, so Gareth yeah. performed the sound effects for being earnest on stage. So he was there with a couple of tables with props. I can't remember what else. There was a tea set, I think, with little cups and Yes, there was quite a bit and... of careful, careful and genteel pouring of tea. Yeah, yeah, there was tea and biscuits. There was a, the books was a, a great fun one to do, where it's sort of you're, you're throwing books down. I think there was two occasions where books were being thrown down. Yeah, you were rummaging of... through books. We had to have the noise of rummaging through a yes. bookcase. <laughs> and just this this almighty like thump as sort of someone said, I can't remember what exactly the cue line was, but they're basically throwing the book down and this almighty yeah. thump on the table. Mm. Great fun yes. to do that. Um, <laughs> And then we had a couple of um, visual moments, like the um, I particularly enjoyed the diaries where um, the two um, uh, Gwendolyn and Cecily, Cecily, oh, yes. yeah, Gwendolyn and Cecily are talking about their diaries, and we've got this book to represent them. And on one page, it's got Cecily's diary, Ernest proposed, written on it. All oh, spoilers. <laughs> Hundred year old spoilers. And then Gwendolyn says, Oh well it, it also says the same in my diary and we'd pre prepped this book so that on the the next page was Gwendolyn's diary Ernest proposed and you sort of hold up the <laughs> hold up the book with Cecily's diary and then as soon as Gwendolyn says hers you turn the page and there pre prepped is the next set of words. <laughs> I forgot we did that. Yeah, that worked. So that was good. I gave it a little bit of a a little bit more of a live radio vibe which was good fun so yeah more of that yeah absolutely. more of that yeah coming well, soon from unbound war and peace the full audio version yes yes <laughs> with gareth saying all the i don't know yes. horses are there horses there's bound to be horses in there isn't yeah there? some explosions yeah and some yes. peace yeah. apparently yeah. Yeah. yes 50 yes. 50 just a singular dove for yes. peace <laughs> you can do the foley of the 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 Bird poo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The dove. That's always a feature when there's birds involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. It was nice to talk mm. to you. Yes, on that lovely uh, bird poo note. Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks for sharing. That's been lovely. Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you very yes. much. I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.